exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God, this is The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, T.J. Melanoski. Today we have with us Reverend Sheila O'Mara. She is the current moderator of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. She retired a handful of years ago as a U.S. Navy chaplain after 30 years of active duty. She served as a force chaplain for all the religious programs at Navy bases around the world, graduate of Bethel University, graduate of Memphis Theological Seminary. She's a member of Presbytery del Cristo. She is the chair of Committee for Preparation for Ministry, and she is a new parent to a puppy who is disrupting an otherwise quiet life in Gadsden, Tennessee. Sheila, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. I think I got uh, enough sleep last night. (laughs) (laughs) Some early morning awakenings with a puppy. I'm good. (laughs) What is your puppy's name? I forgot to ask you. Her name is Freya. Freya. Mm -hmm. Well, thank Mm -hmm. you for taking time out of your schedule and your life to uh, share your faith journey. And let's start with what Can you recall your first encounter with God? Sure. Um, Well, for starters, I was raised as a Cumberland Presbyterian. Um, As a child, we lived in Jackson, Tennessee, and we were members of the first Cumberland Presbyterian Church there in Jackson. So as a child, um, I was very involved in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, uh, children's choir. But my first real encounter um, with God, uh, where it became apparent that it was important to have a personal relationship, was at Camp Clark Williamson, which interestingly enough, um, Camp Clark Williamson now is about um, 12 miles from where I live in Gadsden, Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, when we bought our house here in Gadsden to retire, I'd totally forgotten about Camp Clark Williamson and where it was. And uh, here I am living about 12 miles from the camp, uh, so I probably was eight, eight, nine years, eight, eight or nine years old at junior camp. I went every summer, and um, they always had a campfire, and so um, that's where I clearly remember having my first real encounter with God through Jesus, um, and sitting around the campfire, and um, whoever was there leading us, one of the counselors, talking about the importance of having a relationship with God, so yeah, um, that's that's where it all happened. And as I said, I went to um, junior camp every year that I could while we lived um, here in uh, Jackson, Tennessee. Interesting. So you can recall that, and then you come back home uh, from camp and that camp experience that so many of us have had. Uh, then what happened? Well, then we moved um, to... Albuquerque, New Mexico, my father changed jobs, and we became members of the Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Albuquerque. We had a very strong um, youth group. Uh, In fact, as I was thinking about it, um, probably over half of our youth group, um, as they became adults, got involved in some type of ministry, whether ordained or lay ministry. So we had a very strong youth group. And I would say that uh, by being a member of that youth group, by retreats that we had, and once upon a time, my presbytery um, used to have um, presbytery youth retreats um, at presbytery meetings while the adults were having their business meetings. We would have retreats at whatever church was hosting presbytery. So I would say it was there that my faith as a child was reinforced um, through youth ministries at church or um, at um, Presbytery. So that was, that was while I was living in New Mexico. When we left Tennessee, I never expected to go back to Tennessee. And yet I found myself going back to Tennessee after I graduated from high school and enrolling and going to what was then Bethel College. Um, I went there to be a music major. I found that um, after one semester of being a music major, one, I was not as talented as I thought I was, and two, it required too much time sitting alone practicing um, 
because I was uh, took um, lessons on um, church organ as a child. Spent too many hours in a um, rehearsal room by myself, and uh, it just wasn't the life for me. And I figured out that I was going to be a starving artist. So um, I quickly abandoned being a music major, and I shifted to being an accountant. So um, my faith was con was um, I continued to have my faith reinforced by the community of friends um, that I developed, some of which there were three of us that came out of Albuquerque um, CPC Church and went to Bethel at the same time. But we developed a, a group of friends, so many, many of them who also um, became ordained CP ministers. So my faith was um, reinforced while I attended um, Bethel University. After that, I left, I graduated, I went back to New Mexico. I tried to find a job as an accountant and uh, everywhere I looked, um, the doors were closed. Everyone said, well, we'd like to hire you, but you need experience. So it was the old, well, how do you get experience? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get a job if you don't have experience? Nobody was interested in internships. So there wasn't a single door open. And uh, then I found myself responding to a call to ministry and going back to Tennessee and um, going to seminary, to our, our denominational seminary in Memphis. So I've gone around the world and back, and now I'm back in Tennessee, <laughs> where I started. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about the leadership opportunities you had as, as a, a young person and uh, youth and as a young adult. It was kind of these opportunities to serve um, is pretty important in our formation, I think, uh, regardless of our age, but particularly when we're, when we're younger. Well, as I said, um, I grew up in church camps. I grew up in vacation Bible schools, Sunday schools, um, youth groups. So um, I can remember probably more about youth groups in terms of um, different ones of us um, leading Bible studies, um, leading prayer, um, having parts uh, that we led uh, in terms of youth retreats. So, you know, an opportunity to um, explore and do some creative things. Um, I can remember our youth group probably once a year um, actually led a worship service on Sunday morning. So each one of us would have uh, had different parts in the worship service, whether leading, singing, leading something, some part of the liturgy. So those were opportunities again fairly common to many of us um, as an adult while I was in seminary um, I uh, did some children's ministry and youth ministry at a church in um, uh, in Memphis uh, occasionally did some pulpit supply around West Tennessee but primarily, I worked at the denominational headquarters when it used to be on Union Avenue, or right off of Union Avenue before it moved to its current present uh, location. I worked for the old um, Frontier Press, printing press company, as an um, editor and proofreader. And I also worked um, in the city clerk's office. So I got to learn about the denomination from the inside, if you will, in terms of the workings of the church at large. I worked for Tom Warnick, Evelyn Walpole, did a lot of administrative work. So every year I got to go to General Assembly and work the General Assembly office. So at a, you know, in my 20s, I learned about the polity of the church, the politics of the church, I mean, all the inner workings just from being in that office and seeing things from a in a different perspective than what most people do as commissioners. Um, I also worked um, for Bert Owen in the Office of Church Growth and Evangelism, one of the brand new office I did administrative work. So I dabbled a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what was going on, I guess it was the decade of the 80s, in terms of um, how the church was attempting to um, be more proactive in church growth and evangelism. So those were what I would call some of the leadership opportunities I had while I was a seminary student before getting ordained and joining the Navy. And now here you are serving a second term as moderator of 
the Cumberland <laughs> Presbyterian Church. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Who would have thought that? <laughs> Let's go back for a minute. Uh, you have the skills uh, for being an accountant, and you've displayed skills and opportunities have been given through the church in terms of leadership. What, what was the transition there from accountant that moved you to to uh, towards ministry and towards uh, ordination of the word and sacrament? Well, um, I said earlier that I was part of a youth group that was very service oriented and over half of this wound up in some sort of ministry. Um, so, you know, everybody has a call that's different. Um, I had struggled with that, pretty much ignored it. And yet I, I very clearly remember the day when God called me to ministry. Again, I said that the doors were shut to accounting. Um, I was working at a car dealership. My dad ran an automotive parts warehouse and he hooked me up with one of his friends at a car dealership. And I was, um, doing invoices um, in their service department all summer after I got home from college, trying to figure out well, what am I going to do now? One of my friends um, who we from Heights Church in Albuquerque, um, one of the three of us that all left at the same time to go to college at Bethel, he moved, the other two went on to seminary and started the fall of 1978 um, to work on their master's. Anyway, one of them called me in the fall of 1978, and Bill was Bill was older. He was about my parents' age, late call in life to be a minister. But he called me out of the blue one day and said, Sheila, I have I in my prayer this week, I very clearly have felt that God wanted me to call you and give you a message. I said, Okay, <laughs> what's that? He said, It's time for you to pack up your stuff, sign up. Uh, register for seminary and get your rear end here and start school in January. That's what I'm, I believe I'm supposed to tell you. So it's very clear. And he said, I've also found you your roommate. So you have no excuse for, I don't know where, you know, where I could live, et cetera. And I probably have a pretty good lead on a couple of jobs. So, you know, there's really no excuse. And um, I really think that's what you're called to do. So, I did, and off I went. <laughs> off I went in January of 1979, um, off the seminary, answered that call, and went under care of um, my presbytery at their August 1979 uh, meeting and became a probationer. So very clear. Wow. Um, very clear call. And so, and that's kind of been the story of my life in terms of when – God has a message for me. It's usually through another person. It's very direct, concise, no wiggle room, and and that's just kind of the way it's been. <laughs> so that's how I got from being an accountant, or trying to be an accountant, to um, going into ministry. Um, although my accounting background has served me well, especially um, when it comes to details, um, strategic thinking, um, the more senior I got in the Navy in terms of administrative work that has to be done, my accounting background served me well. Most most ministers don't get a lot in terms of administrative and administration and business. They don't get much training in that area. Mm -hmm. no. Well, okay, you're at Memphis Theological Seminary. You're wrapping up your education. How did you end up in the Navy from there? <laughs> well... <laughs> I said earlier I was working at the Cumberland Presbyterian Center in Memphis and about a year sometime in the first year or so after I got to seminary and started working at the center in the study clerk's office a Navy chaplain whose last duty station was at the Navy base in Millington up the road retired uh, he was a hospital chaplain there and started working for the Board of Finance and Stewardship and uh, I got to know him as I got to know all the staff. And um, one day, probably a year after he'd been there, one day he walked in my office and sat down and he said, you know, <laughs> I've been thinking about things lately and praying about things and I have a message for you. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> he said, you know, the opportunities for um, women clergy in the church um, 
are still new, still growing, um, but you know, not a lot of them. And um, I think that the place for you is the Navy. Um, I think being a Navy chaplain, I've gotten to know you. I know what your your skill sets are and your experiences, and I think that that's the place for you. And that's what I'm supposed to tell you. I said, okay. <laughs> have you ever so thought about talk. the Have you ever thought about mm -hmm. the Navy before? Never, never. I I didn't know anybody that had been in the military. Nobody, nobody in my family had been in the military. I don't know a thing about it. Not a not a clue. Never thought about it. Um, so we talked, and I said, okay, well, let's talk about what is involved, what, what the commitment is. And he basically told me it's a three-year commitment. You sign up for three years. If you don't like it after three years, you can get out and, you know, hopefully find a church uh, to pastor, or you can go in the reserves. Um, but uh, it's a three-year commitment. So basically then he just said, okay, I dare you to do it. I mean, he essentially point blank dared me to join the Navy <laughs> after we talked about it. And his friend was at that time head of the Navy chaplain school where we, everybody goes for basic training. And uh, he knew some other people and he said, well, one, one little stumbling block, but I think we can work that out um, is that you're supposed to get ordained and then have two years of pastoral experience following ordination, which I didn't have. Um, I had done some things as a student, but I, you know, didn't have the two years afterwards. And but at that time, the Navy was heavily, all the services, but the Navy in particular was heavily recruiting um, women clergy to come in as chaplains. So I don't know exactly how it all worked out, but he pulled some strings and made some connections. I had to go before the commission, the chaplain's commission, to um, be interviewed, but um, I was interviewed and I got a waiver and, and came in. Wow. Now, years later, as a Navy chaplain stationed in Washington, D.C. area, I sat on boards where once their endorsing agent had cleared them from, you know, an a denominational perspective, they still had to go before a board of Navy chaplains to get interviewed. That was the final thing. So I sat on many of those boards. And after the first two or three boards I sat on, I thought, wow, looking back 30 years earlier, I'm not so sure I would have given me a waiver. <laughs> <laughs> knowing now what I, you know, knowing now <laughs> what I didn't know back then, I'm not so sure I would have given me a waiver. Because I came in straight out of seminary. I didn't have, I had no clue in terms of my pastoral identity, my pastoral authority, nothing. So I had to learn all of that and learn the Navy and the military institution, which was a lot wow. to learn at one time. So you so. went in thinking three years of service, which ended up being 30 plus yes. years yes. of service. It did. It did. <laughs> mm -hmm. it did. And of all places, my first assignment as a Navy chaplain was at a Navy hospital in San Diego, California. Love San Diego, can't beat that in terms of climate, things to do. I didn't have not one unit of CPE, hadn't done any hospital visitation, didn't know a thing about hospital ministry. So I had that extra challenge as well. Wow. So to say that, God has been has definitely um, part of my life and direction and sent me some very clear signals of what I'm supposed to do is is an understatement <laughs> given all the challenges. So I, I'm actually surprised that I survived my first three years given the lack of experience that I had, both just as an ordained minister and certainly in a hospital uh, chaplaincy setting. But the the thing that stands out about that whole experience is there's a multi-staff. There are probably 12 chaplains on staff. It's a huge hospital, training, training hospital. Is there were two Catholic priests, both pretty senior to me, who recognized very early on after I got there how green I was and that if they didn't, if somebody did not take me under their wing and mentor me, then I wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so they did. My Protestant brothers, on the other hand, 
could have cared less <laughs> about mentoring me. But my Catholic brothers, um, both of them, um, mentored me, taught me what I needed to know, um, got me out on ships. Um, and um, that's really, I think I had it not been for their mentorship, I probably would have not stayed mm. because a hospital ministry is shore duty. It's important, but there's much more to the Navy than that, especially mm. chaplaincy. So, and one of them actually um, was again able to step in with the assignment placement officer, and my next duty station was to a ship. And so that was crucial to get me out into the real Navy, if you will, and then into the operational ministry. So, so what is it like being a chaplain, um, Protestant and female, and just a Christian in general in, in the Navy, in, in the military, and, and just practicing your faith, but also you're an example to the men and women in service as well. What does that look like? Well, um, there are four core values, if you will, four things that all chaplains do, regardless of your faith, uh, your faith group. That's you provide for those of your own. And in my case, that would have been Protestants, more so liturgical Protestants. I think in 30 years, I met maybe six Cumberland Presbyterians in 30 years. Um, so it would have been providing for Protestants in general, but in terms of worship services, more liturgical worship services um, than evangelical. Um, so provide, um, facilitate, meaning if someone comes to you and they have a faith that is not close to yours, um, let's take the case of maybe Jewish sailors, Muslim sailors, Seventh-day Adventists, those, those come to mind, then you still have responsibility to facilitate their First Amendment rights, you know, to worship according to their faith. So if at all possible, you try to connect them with a group or a chaplain or somebody um, of their own faith group, if that's what their need is at that time. Mm -hmm. So provide, facilitate, care. care. The care piece is pretty broad, but it's care about everybody, regardless whether they have a faith or not. And oftentimes, if you're on a ship or a unit and you're the only chaplain, people generally don't care so much about what your faith group is. What they care about is someone who's a safe, safe place, a safe person to talk to, who can provide 100% confidentiality to talk to. So um, that's the care piece. Then the advice piece has to do with advising a commanding officer of that particular unit to advise them on how the crew is doing either from a faith perspective, their morale, whatever, um, to advise them. Um, I can remember being the command chaplain on an aircraft carrier and meaning the senior chaplain position. And we life, you know, the life at sea when you're deployed, pretty long days, 18, 20 hour days. I mean, you basically work, sleep, um, not a lot of downtime. And we had a particularly um, busy schedule on deployment. And myself and the three other chaplains on the ship had a sense that the crew was really tired. And of course, when the crew gets tired, then you start having safety mishaps. And nobody wants that, whether it's something in the ship, whether it's aircraft. So in my advisory role, I went to my boss, the commanding officer, after talking to the executive officer and saying, you know, if there's a way you can find in the schedule, you know, some downtime for the whole crew, I think it would be important because I'm really getting concerned that you're going to have a safety mishap. Somebody's going to do something unintentional and they're going to do it because of their fatigue. So that's the advice piece to find in it to say to the boss, you know, let's, let's give them a break, however long that can be. So everybody gets a chance to have some downtime. And he did. So that's, that's the, advise leadership piece um, and that's it's been that way that those four core principles have been that way for a long long time in the Navy yeah so in many ways in that 
in that ministry, that stage of your life, you were a bridge. You're a bridge between the uh, servicemen and women and the commanding officer. You're also the bridge and a representative of of God for for many yes. uh, with those on the ship, those in the service. So you've just been this bridge for many people in, in many different roles. Yes, a bridge, yes. And also um, the pastor, if you will, to the commanding officer. I mean, a commanding officer, it's even more so today than it was a few years ago because of pressures and some of the um, headlines that have been out there in terms of mishaps with ships. It's even more pressure on commanding officers. Uh, because they're the ones that are going to take the fall when something goes wrong. Um, but to be the pastor, I mean, that that can be a very lonely role for someone, especially on a nuclear aircraft carrier, to have that much of a burden on his or her shoulders. Mm -hmm. So to be their pastor. And some chaplains do well with that and some don't. I mean, you know, you basically, it's sometimes it's saying something to the boss who, oh, by the way, writes your performance evaluations. Um you may wind up saying something to them they don't want to hear. And, uh, and ultimately, they're going to make the decision, and you got to live with it. And I can recall one commanding officer I had who I made a recommendation to him um, that he said, okay, chaps, you know, you're my pastor. I appreciate you talking to me, but mm, I think I'll pass on that. And unfortunately, what I recommended to him, he didn't listen to, and it it cost him uh, making Admiral, and he left and uh, did one more tour and had to retire. Had mm -hmm. he listened to me, he might have made Admiral and stayed around. Mm -hmm. um, on that same deployment, I talked to another senior officer who was the commanding officer of the entire air wing, and I made a recommendation about something that um, I thought would um, if he didn't make some changes, would cost him his career, and I explained it to him, and he listened to me and uh, made changes, and he went on and made Admiral, so, you know, you never know, um, but it's that, it's that speaking truth to power, that's what, how I'd categorize it. Some chaplains have to learn how to do it and be willing to take the risk that somebody might not like what they have to say, and make a different decision, and then you just got to carry on. So, How did you see God working in, in your life and also in others during your time as a Navy chaplain? Well, I, um, I've been around the world several times. I have experienced many different cultures. I've come across people of faith groups very different than mine that I would not have done otherwise had I not taken up the dare that the retired Navy chaplain issued to me and pastored a CP church. Um, I would not have had any of those experiences at all. So my life was greatly enriched um, by coming across people who not only didn't think like me, didn't pray like me, didn't have the same scriptures, didn't look like me and very different in terms of their culture. So I would say that, that, that has contributed to my life as a Christian and my life as an ordained uh, minister in the CP church. Hmm. So um, that experience, um, certainly being in the Navy, if you've got, if you're a person of faith, um, takes you away from your own um, church community. So there's been times that I've been able to help, people connect, reconnect with their faith, maybe not their particular brand of faith, but reconnect to a faith community um, through things of people, you know, wanting to get married, um, they're married, they have children, they want the children baptized, but again, they're not, they're not connected to their own particular faith group. So doing those kinds of things, um, again, bringing people back into community um, who maybe have not been that connected in a while so those kinds of things and um so baptizing babies uh using the ship's bell um it's an old tradition ship's bell is used as a baptismal font 
And if you do that, then uh, the somebody on the ship will inscribe the, the baby's name and, and the baptism date on the bell, the ship's bell. You know, oh, wow. those kinds of traditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, yeah. yeah. So um, I would say um, those kinds of things um, in terms of an impact on my life or others' lives. Um, and I would say, too, um, one of the things that most chaplains do on ships, um, I haven't experienced as much ashore, but when there's a disciplinary procedure um, called captain's mast, where someone's in trouble, they've been written up, they have to go to a non-judicial, uh, non uh, NJP, non-judicial procedure, um, stand before the captain and have charges read and You've got witnesses and all that. The chaplain and the lawyer are always there at every one of those. I've attended many, many of those. And actually, sometimes, because we get a chance to read all the paperwork before you go in and kind of get caught up on what's going on, there's been, there's been a few times where I've advocated with the commanding officer to say, okay, this kid is young. They screwed up. Who doesn't screw up when you're young and do stupid things? You know, you can throw the book at them or you can give them a light and slider sentence, yell at them, do whatever, you know, and and then, you know, give them a minimal sentence and tell them you don't want to ever see them back at your doorstep again, you know. So to advocate for them to say, eh, if you throw the book at them, and that's kind of harsh, you know, and you really want to do that, especially if it's a first-time offense. So mm -hmm. those are opportunities that chaplains have to be advocates. And certainly that has an impact on the life of that sailor um, in terms of seeing a person of faith representing God in the church who advocates for them in front of the boss. So I've had to do that a few times. Okay. Not comfortable, but you know, don't know how it's going to work out when you're there, but you know, it's the right thing to do. So. Why well, as they say, you know, um, God, well, you said this earlier, God opens doors, God closes doors. At one point, you were looking at um, retirement. So, how how did you come to that decision, and how has it led to where you are today? Well, um, depending on your pay grade, there are mandatory um, steps along the way. Though that if you reach so many years in the Navy at a certain pay grade, um, you if you don't advance, then you have to leave. So, example, um, as an O4 officer, if which is a lieutenant commander, if you don't promote beyond that, you have to retire at 20. And then it goes on from there. So, in the Chaplain Corps, um, if and we only we only select we only have two admirals in the whole Chaplain Corps. So once you become an O6 captain, which is what I was, and eligible for flag officer, and there's, those boards don't meet but about every three years, then once you hit 30 years as a captain, you're at statutory retirement. You can retire before then, um, but if you don't promote at 30, then you have to go home. But I would say somewhere around probably year 23, 24, um, so when I when I came back from Italy after being the sixth fleet chaplain, and I was assigned to the admiral who was in charge of all the Navy bases around the world, um, I started feeling, wondering, you know, should I stick it out for another six, seven years, or should I retire? Um, I, going, you know, DC is its own world. Um, a lot of politics, and of course, as officers, we're supposed to stay out of politics. Um, but I started seeing a trend where I really got disillusioned with senior leadership in the Navy at the very top, and I just felt there were too many careerists and politicians and not enough leaders. And I toyed with several times just, you know, pulling the plug and saying, I said, I'm not hanging around till 30 years, even though hanging around till 30 years would have meant more retirement pay. But it's not about the money, it's about the ministry. So I struggled off and on, but what really, and, and I was pretty senior in terms of positions that I had and supervisory uh, responsibilities over lots and lots of chaplains around the world. But what I always went back to was as long as I 
feel like I can remain focused because at that point in my career, I, my focus was on supporting chaplains to see that they had the resources and the training they needed because they were out in the trenches taking care of people. I was at a higher level and I felt as long as, as long as I had something to contribute in supporting those chaplains and training them and had the financial resources I could fight for for them, then I would stick it out. Anytime I took my eyes off of that goal is when I got disillusioned and said, ah, that's it. I've had enough. So I, you know, I was able to do that. I stuck it out till the, till the bitter end until they made me go home. <laughs> but I did think a few times about leaving early. Um, but I just said, you know, I'm just going to focus on what I'm here for and making sure that they have what they need to, to be effective uh, in whatever role they're in. So, so that was part of that journey. So here in the last uh, couple of years, few years, you have become very active in um, what the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in terms of your service um, on various committees and um, for, for your presbytery, but also at the denominational level. Um, how how has God been working on you in in that context? Because it's kind of easy to say, okay, I've retired from this aspect of my ministry, um, so I'm going to I'm going to retire. But you've done quite the opposite in terms of service to 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 the church, or at least to the denomination. Um, you, it's been quite the opposite. How how did you do that? Because you definitely could have just said, yeah, uh, I'm a name in the yearbook as an ordained minister, but you have not chosen well, that I, path at all. No, no. And um, I did not intend to <laughs> wind up where I am now. <laughs> and again, um, and I, I've mentioned a couple of times about God speaking very directly to me. And it's very clear. Yep this is the message I'm supposed to receive. So somewhere, my, my, last, my last job in the Navy was working for the um, Surgeon General of the Navy, which is quite odd because that's where I started 30 years as a hospital chaplain who didn't know a thing about hospital ministry. And my very last job in the Navy was working for the Surgeon General. Um, and I had had, I had had two hospital tours, and I had a full year of clinical pastoral education residency. So I kind of knew a little bit about Navy medicine and Navy hospitals. <clears throat> so here I am working for the Surgeon General, supervising, you know, our oversight of probably 50 to 60 chaplains, 100 or more uh, enlisted personnel, lots of volunteers, a lot of people that I had oversight policy for those kind of things. And um, I got involved in a project, um, this probably would have been 2011, yeah, um, a project between Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs, because um, there was a concern about, there was a gap between military personnel leaving service and getting into the VA system, huge gap, lots of problems, lots of bureaucracy, but particularly around mental health. And this is a time... Still, you know, got a lot of stuff going on in Afghanistan and Iraq, seeing a lot and lots of PTSD. So I got involved in a project to address some of those issues. And the ti one tiny little piece was it was the role of the chaplain. So I was on lots and lots of working groups trying to figure out how chaplains can help with this whole area of mental health, help them transition out of the military into the VA system. Well, sometime during my last year on active duty, as a part of this group that I was involved in, somebody came to me and said, there's a project that's gonna come out of the work you're doing. Uh, it's gonna be about a two year project, a pilot program. And I think you need to get involved in it because you've contributed a lot to these working groups. And because it had to be this big old report, go up to Department of Defense and VA, all of that. So um, this person said, um, once you get out of the military, I'd like to um, hire you as a contractor on this pilot program because I think I think you have what what we need. You've got the administrative skills, the clinical skills, et cetera, et cetera. And so again, a very clear message. And I'm like, well, I kind of was, you know, 
looking forward to retirement. <laughs> I kind of had different plans. So I wound up being a contractor for two years immediately after I got out of the Navy on a project training chaplains on how to better work with mental health providers, training them with some skill sets to in terms of mental health, but also training mental health providers on how to work with chaplains. So I did that for two years. I finished that in oh, probably summer of 2015. And oh, by the way, that project, that pilot project is still very much alive. And, and they've had several cohorts since the initial cohort that I was involved in. We set up the whole curriculum, all of that stuff. And um, so I, I went back thinking, okay, I'm done with that. And uh, now I can retire. <laughs> well, that famous last words. So um, I'm sitting at home in November of 2016, and out of the blue, um, a colleague of mine that we started out together in the Navy in 1983, he was now retired, contacted me and said, I hear that the Navy Chief of Chaplain's Office just fired the instructor for the annual training course for all Navy chaplains because we had one every year, you get CEUs for it, and there's 12 of them all over the world. And I hear that she just fired the uh, instructor and they're looking for someone um, to bail them out at the last minute because the first course starts in January. And I said, yeah, I know, and it's in San Diego, it always was. And he said, I think you should, I think that you should do this. <laughs> like okay I've heard this line before and I said but okay because I knew the process I've been involved with it before and I said okay so what else are you not telling me well the curriculum's being written and it probably won't be done until the end of December and then you would have to teach it in January so Whoa. Uh, okay so I got to learn a curriculum that's still being written and you know, I had big plans for my Christmas vacation holiday. <laughs> they just went out the window. So um, I wound up being the solo instructor, which is highly unusual. Usually there's a team of four, two for sure. I was the only instructor for 12 um, three-day training courses. Uh, so I flew all over the world, in and out, time zones for eight or nine months. Um, teaching curriculum, which, by the way, was on helping chaplains develop ethical leadership, because at that point in time, there had been too many, um, too many headline news of very senior officers getting in trouble, and the, the head of the Navy, the chief of naval operations, said, that's it, we've got to do something, and mandated that the Naval War College come up with curriculum and the chaplains had a piece of that in terms of develop, helping develop ethical leaders. Oh. So um, that's kind of how I slid into um, doing contract work when I had no idea whatsoever. So at that point, like, well, I'm on a roll. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not supposed to just, you know, um, pick up things and, you know, just go into hibernation or whatever. And um, one thing led to another. and I got contacted one day from the nominating committee of general, for General Assembly. <clears throat> Someone said, um, your name was given to me, and um, we think you'd be a good fit to be on Theology and Social Concerns Committee. <laughs> <laughs> I never entertained ever being on a nomination. So that's kind of like the story of my life. God speaks to me through people in very direct, concise ways and there's usually not a lot of wiggle room for me to say eh, not really so um i wound up being on the unified committee for theology and social concerns i served two terms six years <clears throat> by that point um i had already reconnected with my um presbytery i had stayed connected with them and went as often as i could um, when i was in the, in the navy but my time, I was never, never had the time to be fully engaged on committees. Mm -hmm. um, but again, um, someone from the preparation for ministry committee got a hold of me and said, Hey, 
um, about time you got involved in the committee. <laughs> this is the one you need to be involved with. So I, you know, was on preparation uh, for ministry committee for six years, um, two years as a committee chair. I, and I just actually just rotated off at my last presbytery. So um, involved with that. Um, I'm now the moderator of my presbytery. I'm hopeful that that term will not turn out into a two-year term, <laughs> <laughs> as this current moderator term has, tur has turned out to be. And um, the I am as of a year ago, yeah, year maybe two years. I'm on the um, Presbyterian Council for Chaplains and Military Personnel, which is the endorsing agent to endorse um, okay. Cumberland. Cumberland Presbyterian. So again, I've come full circle. I'm back in Tennessee near Camp Clark Williamson and my birth, uh, my birthplace. Um, and now I'm on a commission that endorses chaplains um, for ministry. So I've come full circle. Uh, and this is a way for me to, uh, and I intend, I can serve nine years, three terms on that commission. Unless something changes, I intend on serving the full nine years because this is how I can give back, you know, <clears throat> for the 30 years that I was a military chaplain and supported by my church and my endorsing agent. I can now give back um, for the support that I got. So that's, that's what I see. Well, that's wonderful. You have, you've received opportunities doors have been open for you and, and then they mm -hmm. have the opportunity to continue to serve, but also create, create new avenues, create new pathways for, for others to be in ministry as well. Mm -hmm. In terms of the church, looking at the church, what kind of hopes and aspirations do you have presently, but also in the future, where would you like to see, see the Cumberland Presbyterian church, and the Christian church, where would you like that to be? Well, I think that the um, uh, number one thing that stands out for me is I would like for the CPCA and the CPCA, Cumberland Presbyterian Church in America, to find a way to come together. Um, that That issue for me has been one that I've struggled with throughout my 30 years in the Navy and being an ordained minister in the CP church. Um, the fact that we're separated from one another and that we just can't seem for many reasons to find our way to each other. I mean, we do things jointly, but we just cannot seem to get past, get over that bridge to become one body. Hmm. Um, that when I say I've struggled, um, I would say in the course of my 37 years of being ordained, um, there's probably been a couple of times that I actually wrestled with, do I want to remain in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church because of this issue that we can't seem to unite? Um, and I struggle you know, a lot. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I always came back to, this is the church of my faith, this is a church no church is perfect, no church is denomination. And, you know, why would I leave over the issue? Why would I go somewhere else and encounter some other things that give me heartburn, that give, cause me to struggle? Why would I want to do that? Mm -hmm. And just to back up for a moment, uh, for those who don't know, who are listening, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church and the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in America are two different denominations that share the same confession of faith and the same constitution gover governing documents uh, and yet we're still two sister denominations we do ministries together but we still have uh, we're separate entities please go ahead so I would I would like for you know my prayers are that um, and who knows as you said, we're, we are currently working towards unification. We don't know the outcome. Uh, at the end of the day, vote, votes have still not been cast, not, not all of them. So my hope would be 
that we can find a way to come together. We share a common uh, confession of faith, a common constitution and polity. You know, and, and I just am hopeful that we will find a way to um, become the United Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the one one thing that stands out. Um, I'd also like to see um, there, there is beginning to be an emphasis through the pastoral development ministry team on self-care and healthy ministers. Uh, I'd like I'd like to see more focus on that in terms of ministers having a good self-care um, protocol, if you will, regime, spiritual life, whatever word you want to use, so that they can be even more effective than they are. And I know there's the employee assistance program that's out there. It gives them opportunity uh, and resources. I'd like to see a greater emphasis on pastors taking care of themselves and churches having an attitude of our pastor needs to take care of himself or herself. Because churches have to buy into that because they set expectations on our pastors, sometimes not very realistic, especially the bivocational pastors who serve a church, but they got a secular boss too. And how do you balance that? Yeah. Um, and then connected to that would be um, healthy boundaries for clergy, I think is important. And again, that's something that pastoral development ministry team um, is focusing on. Myself, and because I, I, I'm a member of the pastoral development ministry team, myself and a couple of members of that team are actually certified um, in healthy boundaries training. I think there's going to be some focus on how can we get that training out to presbyteries. So, do, um, do you want to take a minute and describe briefly what healthy boundaries is? Healthy boundaries, <clears throat> excuse me, would look at, um, you know, in, in a number of areas in terms of finance, in terms of um, personal relationships, professional relationships. Clergy sometimes find themselves um, involved in inappropriate relationships, crossing over boundaries. So, you know, when we think healthy boundaries, immediately the tendency is go go towards sexual conduct or misconduct. But it's actually much broader than that uh, in ways that we as clergy can cross boundaries that are inappropriate financially, um, just in our friendships, relationships. Um, so it runs a wide gamut of um, boundaries because not all chap- not all ministers get that kind of training in seminary. Some do and some don't. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by healthy boundaries. Yeah. Okay. It's clergy ethics, another way to put it. Okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there a... Anywhere that you want to point us to find resources uh, or more information, uh, some of the things that you've mentioned, um, or continue dialogue with the moderator, General Assembly moderator of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, is there anything that you would want to point people to in terms of contact or gathering more information? Well, the um, Pastoral Development Ministry team has their they're on the ministry council webpage. They have their own section of the webpage. Uh, so you can go there. They also have um, PDMT, Pastoral Development Ministry Team, has a Facebook page, which there's lots of, lots of links to helpful resources out there. And especially in these um, days of pandemic, which seem to never be, be never ending, then um, the, there have been some um, resources that have been posted there as well. Hmm. You also, as a moderator, have been writing regularly, monthly, uh, in the Cumberland Presbyterian magazine, mm-hmm. and you've also had some uh, thoughts and devotions on um, the General Assembly website as well uh, for the for the church, and specifically this year as we've been working and living in the time of a pandemic so folks can go and uh, to the minister council website but also cumberland.org and also for the cumberland presbyterian magazine and you can get some of uh, sheila's thoughts and writings and encouragements mm-hmm. yeah yes they they're out there and my I, I would say that 
the first year, and I carried it on into the this, this second year as moderator, the theme of um, spirit engaging culture. And so I try to, whenever I write an article or send out a pastoral letter to the church, which I've done several of them during this pandemic, starting back in March, is to engage people around, you know, how is God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit? How is, how are we being um, challenged? Uh, you know, I, you go back to the book of Acts, where Jesus basically tells the disciples, go into the upper room and don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you. And oh, by the way, um, while you're there, pray, pray constantly. I mean, that's what is in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And so I've tried to engage people around that, you know, in terms of look at what God is calling you to do, how you can engage with others around you and what the spirit is um, leading you to do. So that's kind of been the overarching thing and much of what I've talked about and written about. Sheila, I thank you for your time and for sharing your faith journey. It was fascinating to hear all these people that have been placed in your life to open up doors or uh, and provide you opportunities and shake you and going, hey, have you thought about this? Because it's got to be earth shaking. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but also thank you for your service um, and uh, your commitment to, to the church and, and uh, serving a second term as, as a moderator. You didn't know what you were getting into. <laughs> I, you know, and, and again, uh, I'll, I'll say this, that the, mo the whole thing about being moderator was another, another one of those, oh, by the way, God has a message for you. <laughs> and that, um, I would guess it was, well, February, February of last year, you know, thinking, okay, I'm, I'm doing some things in my presbytery. I, um, you know, I'm on a chaplain's commission for endorsing ministers. So I'm, I'm good with all this and enjoying my life, retired life in West Tennessee, <laughs> which I never planned on coming back to. And um, out of the blue, a minister from my presbytery in Albuquerque called, we have a couple churches in Albuquerque, called and said, you know, um, so-and-so and I were talking and um, we thought that you would be a good candidate. And so if you, if you would be willing to, you know, let Presbyterian moderate, uh, nominate you for the moderator of general assembly then that's what we'd like to do out of the blue <laughs> never <laughs> i had a dear, dear friend of 40 years from college who occasionally we get together for lunch and we'd be talking church politics or whatever and i'd be you know whatever talking about stuff and she'd always say you know you make a good moderator no i don't i you know i don't want to be the moderator no i don't i don't want to go down that road nobody knows me uh, you know i've been in the navy all my life Nobody knows me, no. And so out of the blue, I get this call from another minister who said, we'd like to, you know, we'd like to nominate you to be the moderator for other general assembly. So again, clear messages, pretty direct. I said, okay, but I, I told the individual, I said, well, you know, Presbyterian nominates me. I said, I really haven't got a chance. It's just not okay, but I appreciate the thought. I, I'm, willing, I'm willing to have Presbyterian nominate me. I can still remember sitting at the table uh, on the floor of, of General Assembly and, uh, you know, one person made a speech, somebody else nominated. And when the person got up to read the ballot, I was sitting across from the person that made, um, nominated me. And the look on my face must have been just <laughs> out of this world when they announced that, that I was now going to be the next moderator of the General Assembly. <laughs> never thought about it, never planned to. And yet here I am. So here you, God here you are. clear and still am. <laughs> so when you, when you ask me, you know, about aspirations for the future, um, my hope is that um, we have a new moderator in June of 2021. <laughs> 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 now, having said that, I have no idea what the future holds, but I, I have learned over the years to listen to the voice of God, whether <laughs> I want to or not. Um, that there's always something bigger out there and here I am. So <laughs> blessed to be here and serve and, uh, we'll see what happens from here. Well, Sheila, thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's podcast. Tell a friend 
and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road. Thank you.